Lord, for that time of worship. Thank you for ministering to our hearts. Thank you for uplifting us and encouraging us, Lord. And, and, and Lord, uh, we're just here and we're available to you. We ask you to speak to us, Lord. We don't come to you with itching ears, wanting you to speak what we want to hear. Lord, we come to you with humble hearts, wanting to know what it is your heart, what you want to speak from your heart to us. Lord, that we might hear you and carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, that is our desire, and we uh, humbly ex expect to receive from you uh, that which we've asked of you, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, it's not going to be the main passage today, but there's one verse from last week that I want to start today's message off with, um, and it's Matthew uh, 6, verse 10. Last week's message was named, Your Kingdom Come. This week's message is, On Earth as it is in Heaven. And that verse 10 of Matthew chapter 6 says, your kingdom come. That should be the heart. That should be the desire of us as followers of Christ. Lord, your kingdom come. Not my will, not my desire, not my kingdom, not my agenda. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not mine, not what I want, not what I prefer. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth, as it is in heaven. And do you know, we don't have to change the world for God's kingdom to come. We don't have to change the world for his will to be done. You know how I know that? I saw Moses go up to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And just do what God told him to do. Say, let my people go. You know what? Pharaoh resisted. And there wasn't a man on earth that could have withstood the might and force of Pharaoh. But there's a God in heaven who was more than Pharaoh could handle. And all Moses had to do was go say what God told him to say and stand in it. See, it wasn't up for Moses to defeat Pharaoh. That was God's battle. It was Moses' job to obey God, to represent the kingdom, to represent the interests of God, the one who sent him. And he had some fear and trembling when he was spoken to out of that bush, that fiery bush. God told him to go. He said, whoa. He wasn't fired up. He wasn't skipping and jumping and excited to go do that. He was like, who am I? He was disqualifying himself. I don't know what to, I can't even speak that well, Lord. And God was like, who made man's mouth? I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you to be the strongest. I don't need you to be the best. I just need you to be available, and I need you to trust and obey. You do what I say and leave the rest to me. Amen. And I say that because a lot of times we get into desperation. The world hits us in the face. We see a lot of things that are 
make us afraid for ourselves and for our children and for what the future generations might be. And out of that desperation, we get pulled into partnering with stuff that isn't God to try and stem the tide and try to stop this death and damnation from happening and being opposed upon it. And you're like, you know what? That stuff is going to be in the lake of fire one day. That stuff is temporal and it's going to burn. And that stuff, if we let it, will be a distraction from why we're really here. I said last week when Jesus came, the kingdom came with him. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, right? And we're asking and praying. A lot of times we want the kingdom to come. Lord, your kingdom to come. When will I see your kingdom? You better realize if you're here and you know Jesus, then the kingdom is here. Right here. I, I don't know the number. But the kingdom is here today, y'all. And if the kingdom is here, then in this church, it's not just in these four walls. That means wherever we go when we leave here on Sunday, wherever we go to work, wherever we live, whatever neighborhood we're in, wherever we go to school, whatever, guess what? The kingdom is there if you're there. And yes, the full manifestation of it is an event that will happen at some point in the future, but... We are the ones pushing forward the kingdom now. That's what we've been called to do. It's to show forth what the kingdom is supposed to look like. But our prayer, our desire is for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you to go to Colossians 1, starting at the ninth verse. I believe it paints a wonderful picture of what the life of a, fo of a follower of Christ should look like in the areas that matter. Starting at the ninth verse, it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you, you should highlight it, bookmark it, or what have you, because, you know, we have the apostle here who's praying, and he's telling them what he's praying about concerning them. And there are some priorities here that are clear to us as pertaining to the, the life of the follower of Christ. Here's what he's asking, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. How many of you know God wants you to know his will? It's not some mystery that we're not, you know, that we're not supposed to know. It's not some mystery that we're supposed to do some kind of calculus or statistics to figure it out. It, 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 it's not a cipher that we need to try and figure out. God's will is spelled out for us in the Bible. And it may not be quite clear to you yet what specific calling you might have, but there is a calling of God on all of us that we need not and that we better not neglect in whatever pursuit 
we've decided to undertake. And so he's praying. We're ask, here's what we're asking God for concerning you, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there is a cause and effect here. There is a correlation. We want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you're able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. See, the focus here is us and how we are postured before God and, and how we're walking with God. He doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro. He doesn't want us to be acting one way in one setting and acting another way in a different setting. He doesn't want us to have to put on our Christian hat when we've got an audience and then we're acting some other way in private. Amen? Are you hearing me? We are to walk in a manner that's worthy of him, whether we have eyes on us or not. Because his eyes are always on us, right? And it is him that we're to represent. You know, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that ain't for the world to do. The advancement of God's kingdom in this, in, in, in this earth is not a mantle that the world wears. That's a mantle that you and I wear. It's not their responsibility it's not their problem. It's ours. Boy, y'all are silent right now. But we need to, <laughs> and, and, and we, need, we need to chew on that. And we need to allow that to convict us. This is on us. Right? It's, it's, it, it, it's not a superintendent's job to bring the kingdom. You can't step into my role if I've abdicated my duty. It's not somebody else's job to raise my children in the admonition of the Lord, nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's my job as a father. Right? And so this ain't a prayer that the world is praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer. It's our prayer. It should be our prayer. It should be our desire. It's our responsibility. It's our Burden, if you will, to carry. And it's not something we should try to put on others. It's something we should wear with pride. Appreciating that responsibility that God has given us. So we've got a lot of focus on trying to get other people right and not enough focus on whether or not we're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord that we represent. More silence.
But that is the desire of the man of God here towards the people of God. We want you filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You fully have that ability to do that. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, I can say truthfully that I know God. But it, all, it is also true that I can't be content in the knowledge that I have of God right now because there's too much of God for me to know him all. I need to be increasing. I need to be growing in the knowledge of him. And so we cannot be stagnant. We cannot be proud and satisfied with the fact that we know God because there's so much more of him that we don't know. There's so much more to be discovered. There's so much more of himself that he wants to reveal to us. And you know what? We better have a, a desire and an appetite to know more, to know him more intimately and to a greater degree. Are you hearing me today? That is the desire. That is the expectation. That is what it should look like. I'm, I'm not concerned as much with the outward appearance because we can engage in some, I'm jumping the gun here a little bit. We can engage in some mimicry, right? We can, we can, we know how to play the game. We can behave a certain way that gives a certain impression in public, but in, internally we're struggling. That's not who we are. We just know how to put on the game face. Well, that's not God's best for you. That's not God's will for you. That's not walking in a manner worthy of him and that's not to condemn that's to tell you the blunt honest truth which is a loving thing to do because you need to know what it is you need to aspire to right it's less about what you do in public but rather about is what you do in public authentic to what's transpired internally Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of him. So just to, just to keep count, I'm not going to go through all these in detail. Uh, that would be something that we would do on Wednesdays in the Word, shameless plug. So. But it's what God wants of you. He wants you filled, one, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So God wants you to know his will. He's made his will knowable to us. How many parables did his disciples then come back and ask, can you explain that to us? And he explained it to them. He wants you to know it. And we've got to want it enough to go after it. You hearing me? That's one. Two, he wants you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's fully pleasing to him. He wants you three, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, three and four, increasing in the knowledge of him. Going on, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, I'm going to park here for just a couple of minutes because it's interesting. God wants all that for you. And in verse 11, he wants you to be strengthened with all power. I'm thinking, yeah, we're getting ready 
strengthened with all power, why would I need that if I'm not going to kick butt? Right? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. All right, I'm liking the sound of it. For all endurance and patience with joy. Oh my gosh. Talk about anticlimactic right there. Strength, power. Why would I have those things? Why would I need to be strengthened with his might and his power? Why would I need all of that if it's not to lay the smack down on somebody? Well, that's not what God called us here for. The enemy that needed to be defeated has already been defeated through the cross. Christ made an open show of Satan triumphing over him in the cross. Satan was done the moment Jesus resurrected. Right? And he has been placed under our feet. Right? So the lion has been defanged. The lion is toothless. And what are we to do with this might? What are we to do with this strength? How do we carry it in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? Well, we do it like he do it, like he did it. Right? But Notice this might, this strength, this power for all endurance and patience with joy. It's like, wait a minute. So you're giving me strength, you're giving me power, doing this ability to endure? So that means there are some things you want me to put up with that I wouldn't be inclined to put up with that I may not have the capacity on my own to put up with, but it's something that has to be divinely, it have to be enabled to do divinely. There are times when we just need to endure. There are times when we need to be patient. Like, like Paul and Silas was in that prison, beat down, hurting, wrongly convicted, bleeded, bleeding, wounded, dignity compromised. And they could have railed against the machine. They could have railed against the government. They could have railed against anything. But you know what they did? They displayed strength by enduring and being patient. Not just for the sake of enduring and being patient, but they were being patient waiting on the Lord. Because they know that God doesn't operate like we operate, right? God, God it, it, the whole situation didn't make any kind of sense. And in that chaos and confusion, they turned to the one that could bring sanity, that can create sanity out of the insanity, that can bring chaos into order, that could give direction in the middle of the confusion. They didn't know what was going on, but they knew that while they were taken by surprise, God wasn't taken by surprise. And they didn't know what purpose might be made out of this experience. 
but they knew their God. And they knew that if God allowed them to be subjected to what they were subjected to, that there may be a reason why. And so they endured. They weren't weak. They were strong. They didn't lash out. They were shackled. They were in prison. And they had the strength to look beyond that and look to God with, a, with an attitude of, Lord, if you want to use me in some way here while I'm bleeding, while I'm still stinging, while I'm still hurting, while I'm embarrassed a little bit, while I'm confused, if you have purpose in this, Lord, I want your will to be done on earth in me in this situation as it is in heaven. I'm not going to allow the wounds I've suffered, the blood that's trickling from those wounds, the pain that I'm feeling to cause me to be short-sighted and only think about what I want. I'm going to subject those things to you, God. And I'm going to wait. Not pouting, I'm going to wait patiently with expectation for you to speak. Those are the things that aren't spelled out in detail in the verse, and we could overlook that while we read that story, but that's what it took for them to be available to God, for God to use them the way that he did. And when, and when they started praising and worshiping God and that prison got shook and all the prison doors opened and there was opportunity for everybody to run and escape and that guard was about to kill himself because he knew that was an unforgivable uh, failure of, of, of fulfilling his duty. And he'd rather take his life rather than have himself and his family subjected to the consequence that would have been imposed on him. The men of God said, don't harm yourself. No one is left. We're all here. I don't know if you've heard me say this before. Those of you who've been here over the past two or three years, and, and I hope your eyes aren't glazing over now as, as I reference that story again, but it always moved me that these men of God, when the prison door swung open, that they didn't view that as an opportunity. God provided an opportunity for escape. I can go. I can get out of here. This corrupt legal system, God has provided a way. But they didn't interpret it that way. They were still patient, waiting on God to uh, reveal his will. They didn't assume his will. They waited on God to reveal his will and the opportunity for them to partner with it. And when the jailer came, they were ready to act. And um, not only did they prevent him from taking his life, he treated their wounds, brought them into his house, and him and his entire family got saved. Now, you tell me that's not, that's not God. You tell me that's not a miracle. You tell me that that's not how... Uh, that that's not the kind of stuff that the kingdom of God will be advanced through. There's some stuff they had to endure. Some hardships, some pain, 
some discomfort. But in the enduring of that, the will of God was advanced. In the enduring of that, somebody came to know Jesus and placed their faith in him. And I'll say this before I move on. I've already spent more time than I intended to. We are followers of Christ, are we not? Followers of Christ. So the footsteps he walked, we are to walk in those footsteps. The way he conducted himself is the way we're supposed to conduct ourselves. Now think about this. We're followers of Christ. Christ... In his service to the Father and his service to us, you know what? He loved us so much, you know, consider what he endured. He went to the cross for us. Right? He suffered false accusations against his character. They even said he did miracles by Beelzebub, by by the devil. They conspired against him. They railroaded him into prison. They had him beat beyond recognition. They nailed him to a cross. He took his life. And he, and, and he laid down his life. He allowed it all to happen so that the purposes of God could be fulfilled because he came to redeem us. The purpose of God could not have been fulfilled unless he was willing to endure and persevere through all the junk he had to go through in order for the purpose of God to be fulfilled. We're followers of Christ. Why would we not be subjected to the same thing? Why would we not expect to have to go through and endure and persevere in the same way so that the purposes of God can be revealed, can come to pass, so that people can come to Christ? We are redeemed and saved because of what he endured through and persevered through. And there are many others in this world that we live that need us to be willing to follow Christ's example in that way. We need to be willing to endure and persevere and lay down our lives so that the purpose of God can come to pass. So that the will of God can be done on earth as it is in heaven. The unsaved boss It's not his job to be concerned with the will of God. But if I work for that unsaved boss, I can't use the fact that that boss is unsaved as an excuse for me not to obey the will of God in my situation. I have a greater calling, right? The kingdom is not revealed in my Selfish rebellion or disobedience. It's not revealed in my fighting my own battles. It's, it's revealed in my following Jesus, not only in deed, but by example, uh, attitude of the heart, being willing to endure and persevere, waiting on God to give us our marching orders 
going forward. And we're not, we're not in battle mindset as trying to take down other individuals because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against divine powers that have those walking in darkness, snow job. They have, they have them deceived. They don't know that they're deceived. We know. What are we going to do with that knowledge? All right. Um, bearing good fruit. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I just wanted you to know having strength and power doesn't mean we're always flexing and being aggressive and trying to knock everything over. We're not always supposed to be a bull in a china shop or, a, you know, what's that, the hippos in the garden? You're not supposed to be hippos in the garden, right? <laughs> so, you know. We need to be a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more surgical, and just allowing God to really fully direct us. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I just think what we just read is a vivid and beautiful description of how followers of Jesus live life. We're always giving thanks to the Father. As I was saying earlier, we've not just been called to mimic Christ-like behavior. To mimic something is to copy it. You can mimic something and that without being changed, right? It's like being in a movie or being uh, um, in a theater on the show. You're playing a character, but at the end of the day, you take off that character and the real you has to live real life. It's, it's not the real thing. It's a show. Entertaining, enjoyable. Lots of money gets spent to enjoy those things, whether you're uh, on the stage as a, uh, a musical, a music performer or acting performer or whatever. It's just a show. Mimic something well enough, you might be able to put on a good show, but that's all it is. A show. Our calling is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the objective isn't mimicry, it's transformation. We don't want to be among those that Jesus said, about whom Jesus says, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We don't want to be like what, we, what I preached about last week, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders that put on a good show in public when they're fasting and praying. But that wasn't who they were when other eyes weren't watching. God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds according to Romans 12, um, verses 1 and 2. And according to Romans 8, he wants us to be conformed into the image of his son. 
Transformation happens from the inside out. If the heart is transformed, there's going to be an outward display of actions that revealed the transformed heart. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 say this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasant in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The thing I want to highlight here is in verse 21. It's still talking about what the God of peace will do. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. I want you to to focus on equip you and working in us. Who is doing the equipping and who is doing the work? Right? See, this, is, this, this isn't something that we can do on the strength of our will. We have to make a decision that we're going to follow Jesus. We have to make a decision that we're going to live for God. But what makes that possible is the divine work of God in us. It is God doing the work. And we have to trust him to do it. We cannot go and lean on our own understanding. We make ourselves available. God, do the work in us that you know needs to be done. We can't a la carte this thing and say, okay, God, I'm looking on the spiritual menu here. I want item two, four, and seven. I want you to work in my life in those areas. God would likely choose the area that we least want him delving into. And it might hurt. It may be uncomfortable. It may be a problem, and it may, be, it, it may unravel some stuff and just turn us upside down for a while. But, but God in his divine wisdom knows what we need done, and he knows how it needs to be done. He knows how we need to be worked in, and he knows what, uh, what he needs to demand out of us in order for us to yield to him and allow his will to happen in us as it does in heaven. But may the God of peace equip you with everything good. So God equips you with everything good that you may do whose will? His will. He's not equipping you with everything good so that you can go do what you want to do is to do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. To me, in a way, that takes the pressure off. 
This isn't the Old Testament where you either did it or you didn't. And if you failed to live up to one command, then you were guilty of all. And death was your sentence. This gives us the ability to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with humility, because we know we're not a finished work. We've made a decision to follow Jesus, but we still got a lot of the world in us that needs to be worked out. Right? We got a few honest people in the church. We still got some stuff that needs to be worked out. But are we yielded to God in a way that's going to allow him to work that stuff out of us and to conform us into the image of Christ? So we're less concerned with whether or not you're going to make mistakes. It's not an if, it's a when. We're going to make mistakes. But we can learn from those mistakes and grow from those mistakes if we're committed to following Jesus. And, and we're committed to allowing the Lord to do the work in us that only he can do. So he's working in us. God will work in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And this coincides with uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, the, the first passage I shared, verses 11 and 12. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. We don't qualify ourselves. He has qualified us through Christ. He's qualified us, and he's working in us those things that are pleasing in his sight. Man, that's why I get excited when I come with the saints of God to the house of God. That's why I'm excited, right? Our God is so good and so faithful. He didn't leave anything to chance. He qualified us, and he is doing the work in us that is working those things in our lives that is pleasing to him. He is the one enabling us to grow, to be able to live in a manner that's worthy of Christ. So we don't have to wonder if. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to guess God is doing the work. We're going to have to get our minds around that, accept it, embrace it acknowledge it and we will always be in an attitude of thanksgiving knowing that by the grace and mercy of God he has qualified us and in his divine might and power and ability he's doing in us a divine work that's conforming us into the image of his dear son I hope that's encouraging you today. It's not, it doesn't all ride on you. But I will say, uh, in addition to that, um, talking about God working in you, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, I want to share that with you as well. Out of the mouth of two or more witnesses, let every word be established. 
Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 say, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for or because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you may not be what you want to be yet. You may look at scripture and do an assessment of your life and of your walk with the Lord, and you may find yourself wanting. You may find yourself not quite up to par according to what scripture says you ought to be. I hope this is an encouragement to you because this is not something you can get yourself up to. God is working in you. And you may not be there yet, but you're on the way. You may not be there yet, but God's got a plan. He's working that plan, and he's going to get you there. What you need to concern yourself with is staying available to God. What you need to concern yourself with is a commitment to be obedient to God regardless of the cost. And that you're going to trust God no matter what. He's got a purpose and a plan for you, and he's working that plan for you. And more important than any gift you might have that he could use, no matter how great you can sing or play music or orate or dance or, or what have you. You may have some excellent gifts that can really minister to people. But God is less concerned with those things than he is with the inward parts. More than the gifts that you can offer him in service to him, the thing that means more than that to him is your heart. What he cares about is does he have your heart? Does he have your devotion? Does he... You know, does he have your trust? Does he have what he needs from you in order for him to do the transformative work in you that needs to be done? See, if God has your heart and you're devoted and fully available to him, everything else will take care of itself. That's why scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of its righteousness and all the things you have need of will be added to you, right? So you don't need to focus on what you want or need. What you need to focus on is the kingdom first. You don't have to worry about your future. If you understand that your future is in the hands of the God who is faithful to you, one that you can trust your future to, then you can focus your attention on the God of your salvation and, and trust that he's got a plan and work that's going to, he's going to make your future take shape the way it ought to take shape. Are you hearing me today? Amen. So, 
on earth as it is in heaven. I mentioned earlier about performing, whether it's acting. I know my daughter Dominique is a, she's a very talented young lady and she aspires to have a career in theater. She wants to perform on Broadway someday. And she has the ability to do it. She has the talent, she has the passion, she has the drive. She has the genes. <laughs> from, from my beloved wife. <laughs> you know? And when she's on that stage, she lights up. She comes alive. God really uses her in that setting. And I believe that there is a future for her there. And, we'll, and we're waiting. She just recently had an audition, and we're waiting for the, uh, for the outcome of that, and we're believing for a good outcome. You know, and that stage, when people perform on it, that stage, you know, people, there's a reason people pay money and, and put on their calendars to go and watch these things. And so they're very moving. They can have a, they can have a great impact on us. It can take us out of the problems of the world and put us into an environment that uh, makes us forget about those things. And, and, and we can dream and we can aspire to how things can be. Amen? Amen. There is a place for that. But I want to transition to us as followers of Christ. Unlike that theater stage, the world is not a stage for us to perform on. Right? We, we, we don't get to put on costumes and dress up and we don't read a script. We either are who we're supposed to be or we're not. What the world sees from us needs to be authentically who we are. What they see from us ought to be authentically Christ. Right? Jesus is not interested in us coming from the backstage and, and, and treating the world like a stage for us to perform on, right? We're his. Now, it, it, it is a venue, it is a place that we have to live in. We're in the world, but not of it. We're not putting on a show for the world. We're endeavoring to present Christ in truth and in all of his glory to a world that needs him. This is not a show we're putting on. This is life and life everlasting. That's why I said earlier, we've not been called to mimic him. We've been called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to actually become the the, the living embodiment of who he is and presenting him to the world.
as, as I'm getting ready to draw to a close, I just felt led to say that the world is not a stage for us to perform in. We've been given a precious gift. I will say that in closing. We, we've been given a precious gift. Think about it. We, the redeemed, we've been given the gift of eternal life. The gift of salvation, of eternal life. What will we do with this most precious of gifts? Will we wield it as a weapon? Will we treat it with indifference and selfish contempt? Or, or will we treat it with the preciousness that it deserves? You see, we've got this precious gift and not everybody knows about it. How we choose to treat this gift is going to affect our presentation to that world. Does that make sense? But think about it. I don't know what the most precious gift is that you've ever received. But when you received it, you know, your heart desired it. You really wanted it. You hoped your family, your friends, your loved ones, you hoped they picked up on the hints that how badly you wanted it, right? Because you wanted to open up the you wanted to open up the present and find that that is among the gifts that you got because you wanted it so bad. And when you got it, oh, my goodness, you didn't want to scratch on it. You didn't want to share it. You didn't want anybody to touch it. You wanted to make sure that it got set up properly. You read the instructions. You wanted to do everything right because this is the thing that you desired. It's precious. I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it around, in a protective case around it. And I'm going to put it in a hard-to-reach place. Because I don't want the kids to be messing around and end up breaking it in any kind of way. There can be no more precious gift than what we've been given through Christ Jesus. It's the most precious gift that anyone could receive, and yet we have it entrusted to us. What are we doing with this precious gift as it pertains to our own lives? Right? We have to understand the preciousness of what we've been given, this salvation that we have in the Lord, if we are to regard it as it's supposed to be regarded. Right? So it's a given. If, we, if it's so precious, then of course we ought to be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, the one who died and rose again to, get, to give us this gift. The least we can do is endeavor to walk in a manner worthy of him. And I will say that those 
as irritating as they may be, as frustrating as they may be, um, these, the, the people that are in the world who don't know Christ, I will remind each and every one of us, each and every one of you, that we were once among them before we were given this precious gift that we now have in our possession. And there are those out there walking in darkness. Maybe the thing, the, 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 the straw, the last straw that will break the camel's back, the thing that will break the dam is them witnessing someone who is of the faith who understands the preciousness of the gift that they've been given. Who rather than walk in judgment, they have decided to devote their energies to walking in a manner worthy of him. And, and God has transformed their hearts. And the, out, the outflow, the outgrowth of that changed heart has them engaging people in a way that makes the gift recept, um, appealing, appetizing. Maybe, maybe having people behave that way, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, might make all the difference in someone seeing the preciousness of the gift for what it is and deciding to receive it. Isn't that what happened in that prison? They were patient. They endured. They waited on the Lord. They put up with some abuse. And when God moved, what you did not see two bitter, angry, frustrated men acting out of, the, out of that mess. No, the way they acted was in a manner worthy of the Lord. They acted like Jesus. They acted in a way that was pleasing to Jesus. And the result was this man who didn't come to work expecting to encounter Jesus and to give his life to Jesus ends up giving his life to Jesus because of the guys that he encountered that were wrongfully jailed there. See, God can work in amazing ways, and, and not, not in ways that fit our paradigms, not in ways we want him to work, but his ways work if we're willing to trust him and let him use us. Who knows what can be done? Who knows what you're capable of? Who knows what God wants to do through you? Maybe God wants to shake a jail and save a warden or two through you. I just encourage you to just be committed to him and let him work in your life like he wants to work in his life. So his will can be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What will we do with this most precious gift? Romans 6, the final verse, Romans 6, verses 12 to 14. I'll just read it, say a final word, and close. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body 
to make you obey its passions. Now, if it says let not, that means you have the ability to not let it. <laughs> My goodness. At seminary level teaching there. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. <laughs> That's what I wanted to bring. Present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You've been brought from death to life. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And finally, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. There was a time we were bond servants, slaves to sin. And if you were a, you know, it wasn't always a lifetime thing, but there were times when you were a bond servant for life. The only thing that could end your bond servitude is death. We were bond servants to sin. But through Christ, we died to sin. It's no longer our master. We died to sin. Now we're alive in Christ. And we need to present ourselves to Christ as those who have been brought from death to life. Sin has no more dominion. It used to. But we don't live in the dominion of sin anymore. We live in the dominion of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of life. And so, um, and I know you, you know that. But that's. That's not just, that does not just pertain to your personal decisions about whether you're going to give in to lust or whether you're going to lie or cheat or any of those things. We also, when we talk about dominion, we have to extend that out. You know, we have to judge things even in the realm of government, even in the realm of society, in, in, in the voices that we hear and the things that they espouse, we're going to have to assess whether they are a kingdom or whether they're not. What are these things appealing to in me? Are they appealing to some worldliness in me that I have not allowed the Lord to yet sanctify out of me? And so I'm gravitating toward these things, but is it kingdom? Is it really the will of God? Because if it isn't, I need to make a decision to separate myself from that instead of partnering myself with it. Right? And so there's a dominion of darkness out there that wants to lull us into certain narratives, that wants to lull us into certain causes and, 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 and pull us into things that we ought not to be a party to. And if we allow ourselves to, to do it, then we will be walking in sin, right? Because we would not be walking in obedience to God. We'd be, we will have allowed ourselves to be taken off track and be walking down the wrong path. And, and, and in so doing, we would not be representing in spirit and in truth the God that we serve. That's not be amongst those. So we've been 
adopted and brought into the kingdom. Let's live in a way that recognizes and owns that. And let's see what God does. I believe we're going to see God do amazing things as we focus our attention on being who he's called us to be, doing what he's called us to do, and letting him work in our lives the way he wants to work in our lives. I'm going to ask you to stand. Dear Heavenly, hallelujah. Dear precious Heavenly Father, it is our desire that your kingdom come in all of its manifest glory. We look forward to that day. Either we're going to live to see that day and see you in the clouds and, and we're going to come up and meet you in that cloud or, or Father, we're going to go home to be with the Lord and we'll come back with him. Either way, we know that day is certain, but, but Father God, we recognize that the kingdom is here now because we as your sons and daughters in this kingdom, we represent the kingdom. And Lord, it is my prayer that we represent the kingdom well, that we represent the kingdom in spirit and in truth. That we don't get so spiritually minded that we lose biblical soundness. We're not trying to impress anybody and we're not trying to be impressed. What we want is your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. that it is your work that brought us to salvation in you by grace through faith. Thank you, Lord, that the work of sanctification and maturity that's going on in us, wherever, however mature we become in you, is a work of your divine, divine hand. And by your divine will, by your divine work, you are conforming us into the image of Christ. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord, in that way. And Lord, we just say, use us for your glory. And in whatever, whatever role we can play in your will being carried out on earth as it is in heaven, make it known to us, Lord. And my prayer is that we will trust and obey. Be glorified in us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.